on this episode of Backstories. I feel like Tolkien really kind of, is he the father of like modern fantasy? Both Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were big fans of J.A.R. Tolkien. And I saw Frodo lives painted on walls. I thought that was beautiful. The Chicago Tribune said the Magician's Kings was the catcher in the rye for devotees of alternative universes. Welcome to episode 5 of Backstories, the podcast where we talk about the creative process behind stories, their authors, and other fun things. Today I am joined with Amy Hamilton, a librarian from the White River Branch. Amy, what do you have? I'm here talking about Led Zeppelin and how they were influenced by J.A.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit. Interesting, I did not know that. Yes, so they actually, just to start out a little bit about Led Zeppelin, now I am not a musician or rock and roll historian or a token expert. Okay. Just don't. <laughs> so no one come at me. I tried to Google everything thoroughly, yes. but Led Zeppelin formed in 1968 in London. Jimmy Page was in the Yardbirds and that had Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck. The band broke up middle of their tour mm-hmm. and Jimmy Page was left holding the bag. So he had to find musicians to finish the tour. Was he the one that was part of the 27 Club? No. No. He is still around. Okay. <laughs> Different Jimmy. He is. Well, Jimmy Hendrix, but I thought yes. that was another one too, but maybe not. No, he is okay. definitely still around. He actually plays air guitar while listening to music. He's the only one that can and not be cringe. Like that, that is a rule. Huh. Is that on YouTube? I don't think it's actually videoed. Oh, okay. Darn. But he gets into it. How do you fail at air guitar? Well, he actually gets his hands exactly in the right position. Oh, okay. I was like, air guitar, you just kind of do whatever, right? And people (laughs) are like, that's great. No, he would, if he had a guitar in his hand, it would be perfect. Okay. So he actually knew um, John Paul Jones, who was a bassist and keyboardist. So he got him to join and... They really needed a really great drummer, so they got John Bonham, who was well-known. Now, Robert Plant was the unknown. He was a complete unknown, but a few friends of Jimmy Page knew of someone, so they had him audition. And when Jimmy Page heard him, he almost was like, there has to be something wrong with him that he hasn't been discovered yet. He's not famous yet. He must be hard to work with. But anyway, took a chance on him. Yeah. And so... It's like when I bring new people into book club, you know? Yeah, you're like, it's always I've like, heard good things. You better behave, because if not, I might get kicked out too. <laughs> exactly. So they continued as the New Yardbirds, which is a very creative name. Yes. And then midway through the tour, they become Led Zeppelin. And this is something I learned while researching this. They got that name from a bad joke from The Who that were making fun of them. So The Who is a band, and... Keith Moon and John Entwistle, who are in the band, said that they are going to go down like a lead balloon. Huh. So not real. Nice. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Which you could tell they were so right. I mean, no one knows of Led Zeppelin today. Nope. You know, they weren't the influence to start a whole entire genre called heavy metal. Right. You know, and I feel like so much of this podcast is even like, I haven't read that. I've never heard of that. Haven't seen that movie. But I have heard of Led Zeppelin. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And, but what's, well, what's great is you will not have heard of their music too much on commercials or like in games because they keep it tight. Yeah. Now Thor had it on their, they had the immigrant song. I believe that's what it's called. Haven't seen Thor. What? 
It See? is so good. <laughs> so, but they keep their music tight. So okay. it doesn't get overly, you know, used on commercials. Right. We don't want it to yes. be put to use for something that they don't approve of. So now I'm just going to keep this to the Tolkien references because you could have about 10 podcasts about Led Zeppelin. They also had a court case, it, you know, about Stairway to Heaven recently. So we will keep it out of that. And so they are known for blending uh, early rock and roll, psychedelic rock, blues, folk, and then Celtic, Indian, and Arabic styles of music and blending them. It's really interesting. So I just listened to this book called Sister Stardust. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe it's out. I'm not sure that it's out yet. I kind of got a review copy of it. But it's by Jean Green. And it talks about, um, takes place in like... Mm-hmm the late 60s, early 70s, and they kind of talk about that, like, rock and roll era and, like, mm-hmm. all the drug use and, like, the influence of Moroccan. Mm-hmm. Like, they're in Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it just made me think of that. Sorry. Oh, no. No, so I know. The, like, like, the song Cashmere, um, yes. that has those sounds in it. But they're also really good about mixing British folk music with blues and rock. Yes, although their folk music is a little bit harder. Just a smidge. Just a smidge, because like I said, they uh, influenced heavy metal pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, They're one of the influences for that. And so both Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were big fans of J.A.R. Tolkien. Okay. And huge fans, and so was the band Rush, Styx, even Joni Mitchell did music about it. We're just going to talk about Led Zeppelin. You're right. We could do a 10 series. <laughs> yeah, it, it is huge. I have a quote from Robert Plant from an interview with the Santa Barbara Independent. They asked him what he thought about the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, which as I have only read the Hobbit and half of Fellowship of the Ring, I love the movies, but I was raised with them. So yeah. I have not seen the movies. They took us on a field trip in seventh grade to see the two towers and I fell asleep. So it was a great nap. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Well, well so did Aerosmith, the lead singer from that. Uh, Steven oh, Steve Tyler. Tyler. Yeah. Because his daughter was in the movie and he went to see it to be a supportive father and I guess he fell asleep. <laughs> uh, Aerosmith was also, also my first concert at age eight. Wow. Yeah. I was a big fan of the song Pink. Yeah. I haven't read any of the Lord of the Rings either. I have a great idea. We're going to do an episode on Alyssa's backstory. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> about going, you went to Aerosmith at age eight? I'm hoping yeah. that was after they stopped the drug use. Uh, it would have been, what, 96? Okay, that would have <laughs> been. I remember because I went with my cousin, who was 16 at the time, and one of the security guards was her swim coach, and I was so mad because he took her up close to see them. And I was too young to go because it would hurt my ears. <laughs> was that after the movie Armageddon, or was that right before that? Because I know they were huge. Was that in 99? I think so. It might have been. So it was right before. Okay. Yeah. On the, uh, so he's quoted as saying, I saw the Lord of the Rings films and I wasn't crazy about them. Mainly because they're all about spectacle. But, you know, when I read the book, they kind of dissolved into me. I used them in songs, you know, like the Battle of Evermore and Ramble On, which, well, I just want to hold up my hand and say, okay, I was 21 when I wrote that. I think the real message of the books is lost in the movies. When I first came over to America and I saw Frodo lives painted on walls, I thought that was beautiful. And I've yet to see The Hobbit, but my grandchildren love it. I've seen enough CGI battles. My life is already full of them. 
which I get. I love that they dissolved into him. I, I love when he was probably the Lord of the Rings was published in the 50s. Yeah. I mean, he was probably young because mm-hmm. if he was writing music at 19, yes. 21, I feel like a lot of kids, that's Harry Potter, that's Percy Jackson, also the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Yes. I mean, I feel like anytime you read a book, you dissolve. Mm-hmm. Part Especially of, if it's good. You start over. I think anytime you read a book, part of it stays with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful image that it dissolves into you and becomes a part of who you are and the DNA and the collective mm-hmm. DNA of society. And see, and I think, like, because I did not read Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit before I saw the movie, because I was a teen then, and I did not read fantasy books, I just absolutely fell in love with the movies. Am I allowed to throw in another random fact? Sure. I just read not too I can always edit it out if I don't like it. (laughs) I just learned the other day that Nicolas Cage turned down a role in Lord of the Rings. That was the best decision he ever made. Yes. And it's simply because he wanted to spend more time with his family, which is a totally understandable reason. And I think that was the best decision. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine Nick Cage in Lord of the Rings? Better than everything else. I mean, right? Yeah. It makes sense, but I'm glad that he turned that down. That was the best turn down. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure Aaron is disappointed, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I watch the movies every couple of years, especially if I'm going through a hard time. I just take the weekend, and I just watch the extended director's cut of each movie. Oh my gosh. And I just eat snacks, and I'll admit I don't shower during that process. And I come out of it as if I just got better from the flu. Like... I can't watch anything over 90 minutes. And even then I have to break it into two sessions because I cannot sit still long enough to watch I normally can't, but like I said, times where I need it. Yes, absolutely. Comfort, right? Yes. I mean, I, I will admit that. And I'm sure. I mean, I know you're not the only person that does that. I, that is the one series that I do it with. I get to see the Hobbit movies, though. Okay, and there are like five of them now. I think there's three. three, they, three but five, The Hobbit, you, know. you can read in an afternoon because I did it. Yeah. So, like, oh. you don't need three books. I did read that in middle school. Yeah. So, I, you can say that I have read one J.R.R. Tolkien. There you go. Yes. And Earl Plant also mentions this uh, when he was interviewed by a radio station, Rock 100.5. My peer group were writing substantial pieces of social commentary, and I was willowing along the Welsh borders thinking about Gollum. I liked what I did, but now I look at it and go, oof, that was a bit iffy. But I do like Stairway to Heaven. I can look at it objectively. I can't always get my head around it, but it does do something substantial. I think he's a bit hard on himself. It's okay to be a part of a fandom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you gotta own it, man. I think as a rock star, you don't want to admit that you were just, you know. Right. You don't want to seem nerdy in front of all those metalheads. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there's something beautiful and pure about just wandering around. But so many Welsh. of them are, you know, they're intellectuals in their own right. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're basically writing literature. They're just setting it to music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's poetry. And it's, it's just beautiful. Their first reference to Lord of the Rings was in... 1969, the release of their second album, Get Ready for the Creative Titles, Led Zeppelin II, featured the song Ramble On. It makes references of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, also with his experience of searching for love while on tour. So it's never like a pure, just like, 
token, like it's mixed in. Did he find love on that tour? I do not know on that tour particular. That's the real question. I know that he was married and I think has four I kids, mean, but I do not know his relationship status at each tour. He does love. sing a lot about true love. Yeah. Just a little bit of lyrics from Ramble On is, "'Twas in the darkest depths of Mordor I met a girl so fair, but Gollum the evil one crept up and slipped away with her." Because in Lord of the Rings, it wasn't a woman, it was a ring. So um, he did find love, and then she found someone else. Perhaps. Perhaps that's how he referenced, you know, yeah. that experience. And then in 1971, the release of their fourth album, very creatively called... Yes. <laughs> called it. <laughs> Featuring, which is an absolutely amazing album. Every song is... is like crazy good, but Misty Mountain Hop and the Battle of Evermore were on it. And also, there's a little song called Stairway to Heaven, and that is on the album right after I believe the Don't Battle know of Evermore. That I've heard of that one. <laughs> the one song you cannot play in any guitar store. Nope, they do not. No, just don't. It's you have to literally be Jimmy Page to play it. Yeah, and the Misty Mountain Hop lyrics reference the hobbit and so it's so i'm packing my bags for the misty mountains where the spirits go now over the hills where the spirits fly i really don't know but misty mountains you know focus on the hobbit because that was where bilbo who is the uncle to frodo in lord of the rings and gandalf and their party were going okay and it also has something to do with a young man smoking marijuana for the first time, I believe, or like a. I mean, we are recording on four twenty. Yes, that was not the plan, but I'm not intentional. Misty Mountains is. And I'm is sure a you're mixture. Gonna <laughs> I don't believe it. Once again, I am not a Led Zeppelin expert, so if I got my information wrong, I. Apologize. I mean, I don't think anyone's gonna fact check you, and, and if I'm they pretty do, sure I will gladly have them on. To that a band you. like Led Zeppelin would have made drug references, I'm, I'm pretty I mean, sure. I feel like that's... I can't imagine any rock band doing drugs, ever. No. Especially in the 70s. Nope. I mean, no. Never. I'm sure they were all clean as a whistle. Nope. And so the Battle of Evermore, and I'm just going to reach a little bit of it. It's a very haunting-sounding song. I wish we could play some, but we would get sued for everything we're worth. So don't do it, Jody. <laughs> do not think we can. It has a woman's voice singing in it, too, and it's this very haunting sound, and I wish I was good at explaining music. You don't want to give it a shot? I do not. I will not sing this, but one of the first stanzas is, The Queen of Light took her bow, and then she turned to go. The Prince of Peace embraced the gloom and walked the night alone. Oh, dance in the dark of night, sing to the morning light. The dark lord rides in force tonight, and time will tell us all. The pain of war cannot exceed the woe of aftermath. The drums will shake the castle wall. The ring race, right in black, right on. Oh, dance in the dark of night, sing to the morning light. The magic runes are written gold to bring the balance back, bring it back. And then the last stanza. At last the sun is shining, the clouds of blue roll by. With flames from the dragon of darkness, the sunlight blinds his eyes. So there's mentions of rings rafes, which if you've seen the movie or read the books, they are the ones trying to go after Frodo to get the ring. They're the bad guys. And so there's just all those references in it. 
but it also kind of sounds like it could be like a medieval style song, which in the seventies, think of like Nights in White Satin and stuff like that. That was somewhat done. Okay. And this is the single greatest thing to finish this off. Okay. I learned that Robert Plant had a dog named Strider, which is the name Eric Gorn used while traveling. Viggo Mortensen in the movies. Okay. And they would roam the countryside together. That's adorable. And I like to think Strider was with him when he wrote the songs for the fourth album. Didn't have him for Ramble On. But I like to think they roamed together. I can just see him sitting at a desk with, like, the light on at midnight and a little the dog, like, curled up at his feet. And yes. I have a picture of Robert Plant smiling on an old motorcycle with a dog in front of him. It's adorable. Of course, any picture of a dog's adorable, but yes. And I imagine they willowed their way around the Welsh countryside. It just sounds lovely. Well, thank you so much, Amy. That was an intriguing look at Led Zeppelin and Lord of the Rings. I had no idea about half of that stuff. So, speaking of J.R.R. Tolkien, I have, for our listeners today, author Lev Grossman, who people might know as the author of the Magicians trilogy. It is also, or was, a TV series, although I'm not talking about that because it wasn't very good in my opinion. As a tie-in to Lord of the Rings, he gave the 2015 Tolkien Lecture of Pembroke College, and that series was founded by postgraduate students Will Badger and Gabriel Schink in memory of Tolkien, who was Rawlinson and Bosworth Professor of Anglo-Saxon at Pembroke from 1925 until 1945. During this time, he wrote The Hobbit and the majority of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and the aim of this lecture is to stimulate more serious study of fantasy literature at Oxford University and beyond. The lecture can be on any subject dealing with fantasy, science fiction, horror, or related speculative genres. I looked up who else had spoken, and I didn't recognize any of the other ones. And they're just now starting it back up after the COVID-19 pandemic. Did they have those on YouTube? Because that'd be interesting. I did not look that up, but I'm sure it exists. Because <laughs> yeah, it's 20, on Yeah, YouTube. I was like, everything's on YouTube except for Robert Plant playing air guitar, apparently. Jimmy <laughs> Page. Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page, sorry. And someone at you. Yeah. You know. That's the only thing not on YouTube. So I want to talk a little bit about Lev Grossman. He was born June 26, 1969 in Concord, Massachusetts. He is a journalist and novelist most famous for the Magician's Trilogy. There are three of them, obviously. The Magician, The Magician King, and The Magician's Land. So not much more creative than Led Zeppelin <laughs> in those titles. So his twin brother is a video game designer. His sister, Bathsheba, is a sculptor, his mother, Judith, a novelist, and his father, Alan, a poet. So a long history of creative people in his family. He graduated from Lexington High School and Harvard College with a degree in literature. He then attended Yale University for a PhD in comparative literature, but dropped out after three years before completing his dissertation. I mean, I wouldn't want to complete one of those, though. Yeah, to be fair. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but that's such a shame. Yeah. So the year after he graduated from college, he worked in a library and his job was to erase underlines and notes made in books. So oh. anytime anyone wrote a book, he had to go behind them and erase all of that. That used to be my job at a different library. Only part of it. Right. I mean, what did he do if they wrote in pen? Like charge them for the book. That's what I did. 
<laughs> oh. I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe Unless he, it was very old, I would like, send them an actual letter saying, don't do this. We sent letters. Really? Was this at uh, Franklin College? No, no, it was, I don't know if I can say, it was at a public library in southern Indiana. Okay, yeah. Like, we won't <laughs> disclose which one. His journalism career is insane. He's written for a variety of magazines, including Wired, Time Out New York, Wall Street Journal, Entertainment Weekly, and The Village Voice. He is a member of the National Book Critics Circle and is the chair for the Fiction Awards panel. So he's got some say in who wins awards. Ooh. He's got some other really cool things. This is by far the coolest, I think. In 2006, he traveled to Japan for the unveiling of the Wii. Ooh. I know, right? I mean, that's like the one video game system I've owned in my life. <laughs> did you do the Wii Sports? I did. I was just talking about this with friends this weekend. I was really good at the tennis and the bowling. Well, I think if I think they're they're making one for the Switch, not a Wii, but like a sports kind of thing somehow. My brother yeah. told me about it, so at him if I am wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know anything about Nintendo gaming, whatever, but I just thought that was really cool because his brother was in on the video game mm -hmm. development, of course. He's interviewed several famous people, including Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Salman Rushdie, Neil Gaiman, who we covered in a previous mm -hmm. episode, Joan Didion, Jonathan Franzen, J.K. Rowling, and Johnny Cash. Can you imagine landing Johnny Cash? He wrote one of the earliest pieces on Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series, oh. which I'm not sure what he had to say about it, but I can only imagine. Yeah. I will admit that's one of my favorite guilty pleasure reading <laughs> even though I hate love triangles I I want to resist and tell you that I haven't read it but I'm gonna say I haven't read it I love other vampires but I just can't get behind the sparkly vampire I know just I can't know. do it man I, but it's making a resurgence I guess it's, it is. it's back on Netflix or one of those and kids younger kids are like discovering it for the first some time some of my lit loot teens which is a free subscription service for teens at the library, you can sign up for, and we pick out books for you based on what you like and give you free things. But some of my kids are now reading Twilight. And I'm like, but also, don't follow any of the relationship advice. <laughs> right? Uh, don't, don't do what they do. Oh, I know it. It's all toxic. It is incredibly toxic. That's why yeah. I call it a guilty pleasure. It's one of the few things, because I say read and love exactly what you want, don't call it a guilty pleasure unless right. you know it's toxic. Right, exactly. <laughs> it makes me think of that Parks and Rec episode yes. where the guy chains himself to the chair in Leslie's office because he wants it included in the town's time mm -hmm. capsule. He just thinks it's like the greatest book ever. Wasn't it so he could have something in common with his daughter? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I think he was going through a divorce and he's like, I gotta read it. And I told her I would. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, can you imagine chaining yourself to a pipe because you're like, this has to be in a time capsule? No. No Don't man, do not not for Twilight. No. As no. much as I love Give it, that no. stuff to Goodwill. Yes, yeah, make crafts out of it. Lev Grossman also wrote the Time Person of the Year 2010 feature article on Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah, which I thought was interesting. And then he quit Time in 2016 to pursue writing full time. Mm -hmm. His first novel it's called Warped, and it was published in 1997 after he moved to New York City. It's about the lyrical misadventures of an aimless 20-something in Boston who has trouble distinguishing between reality and Star Trek. Oh. So, I mean, I may have to check that out. 
I kind of want to know what happens. In 1997, it's probably great. Like, oh, no yeah. cell phones and... Oh. Yeah, I just love reading older books that don't mm -hmm. include all the modern technology. But yeah, I'd really love to see it. I was also talking to a co-worker today about George Takai. So yes. this is a nice tie-in to that <laughs> as well. What he said about that book was that I received largely negative re customer reviews on Amazon.com. In response, Grossman submitted fake reviews to Amazon using false names. He then recounted these actions in an essay titled Terrors of the Amazon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At least he recognizes that that was not a one hope, say, what you should do. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine any authors doing that now. No. They just have people in their fan base that will do it for them. Right. They get all their family and friends. And then it's a scandal. Just, yeah. I, there used to be a website that you could put, like, a web link and see if the product reviews were fake on it. But I forget what it is, so it's not helpful. You but. have to Google that. Wasn't there an author not too long ago that got in trouble for that, too? Probably. I feel like it, it hit you, the news. Because you can buy reviews, and that's not yeah. good. I mean, at least... At least he tried to pretend to be real, right? Yeah. He I did mean, the work himself. He didn't pay bots to do it for him. Of course, bots probably didn't exist in 1997. Yeah. But, yeah, I just love the thought of him going in and being like, this book is great. You know, it's like giving your grandma a copy. And then she goes and is like, my grandson wrote this. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> His second novel, Codex, was published in 2004 and became an international bestseller. And then he finally wrote his most popular book, which I've mentioned, The Magicians. Mm -hmm. In an article for the New York Times, Grossman wrote, I wrote fiction for 17 years before I found out I was a fantasy novelist. Up until then, I always thought I was going to write literary fiction like Jonathan Franzen or Zadie Smith or Jhumpa Lahiri, but I thought wrong. Fantasy is sometimes dismissed as childish mm -hmm. or escapist, but I take what I am doing very seriously. I am the biggest supporter of genre literature. Yes. I love genres. Don't yes. be afraid at any of our library branches to ask for any kind of genre of book. No, and I, I've actually really gotten into fantasy. Mm -hmm. Not the hard stuff. Yes. But, like, the easy stuff. And I, I really enjoy it. It's nice to kind of get out of the reality of this world. Although I'm finding that some of the fantasy now is focusing on pandemics mm -hmm. and post-apocalyptic stuff. So I'm like, maybe I need to go back to inspirational fiction. Because, this, you know, I don't need to live fantasy pre-pandemic i read a lot of historical romance and during pandemic i switched to thrillers and now i'm a mix of that um but it's interesting how i went i was like don't want to know about romance just give me the murder yeah i need to <laughs> right not even cozy mystery no man. straight into psychological thrillers yeah. i love when narrators lie to me Yes. I mean, that is kind of the, the new trend in <laughs> books. And I'm like, oh, that's the liar. But, you know, I do love genre fiction, though. I really love fantasy. I love, of course, she's a little more sci-fi. And Amy and I covered her mm -hmm. in a different podcast. Octavia Butler is mm -hmm. one of my favorites. She also writes a really good vampire novel, if you want to get outside. Of, of Twilight. Of Twilight, <laughs> yes. That was probably the first vampire novel I read. So I want to talk a little bit about The Magicians. The book is a dark contemporary fantasy about Quentin Coldwater, an unusually gifted young man who obsesses over Fillory, the magical land of his favorite childhood books. So Fillory is kind of a mix between like Narnia 
and the world of Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. and a little bit of Harry Potter, mm -hmm. but it's a much more grown-up version. So these yes. books are for adults. I would not recommend them to children or teens. I mean, it's honestly, it's just too much. I mean, a lot of it, but it was really good. Unexpectedly, he finds himself being admitted to Break Bills, a secret exclusive college of magic in upstate New York, an amalgam of Bannerman's Castle and Olana, which I don't know what that reference is, but that's just what it says. And Quentin receives an education in the craft of modern sources, sorcery. After graduation, he and his friends discover that Fillory is real. So then they go and they have to try to save Fillory. Does that sound familiar? It's really good. Michael Agar of the New York Times said the book could crudely be labeled a Harry Potter for adults, injecting mature themes into fantasy literature. The Magicians won the 2010 Alex Award, given to 10 adult books that are appealing to young adults, and the 2011 John W. Campbell Award for the Best New Writer. That has been on my to-read list since probably 2015. That's nothing against that. I have a black hole of a to-be-read list. I was say, library, I was telling someone, <laughs> librarians have to-be-read lists, and they never get shorter. It's just that books mm -hmm. change, change positions based on what we feel like reading and what needs to be read. They're never the ones I own. Right? Yeah. I can't <laughs> buy books because if I buy a book, I won't read it. Yes. I have forever. Because I have library books with deadlines. Exactly. <laughs> Even though now we're fine free. So I return my stuff on time, I promise. And then, so in August 2011, The Magician King, the sequel, was published, which returns readers to the magical land of Fillory, where Quentin and his friends are now kings and queens. Ooh. Sound familiar? The Chicago Tribune said the Magician's Kings was the catcher in the rye for devotees of alternative universes, and that Grossman has created a rare, strange, and scintillating novel. It was an editor's choice pick of the New York Times who called it a serious, heartfelt novel that turns the machinery of fantasy inside out. The Boston Globe said The Magician King is a rare achievement, a book that simultaneously criticizes and celebrates our deep desire for fantasy. Mm -hmm. So as a fan of fantasy, you should uh, check it out. I highly recommend the audiobooks too. Oh, okay. They are very well done. Well, as of seven years ago, JCPL owned them. I'm sure it's on Hoopla or... The oh, new yeah. Indiana Digital Collection on Libby. And then the third book in the series titled The Magician's Lands was published in August of 2014. There are no fancy quotes about it, so I don't know how people feel about it. And then in September of 2016, Grossman announced that he was working on a King Arthur novel called The Bright Sword. So I, I would love to hear his take on Camelot. And then The Magician's has a character named Alice and she's probably one of my favorite characters in all of the series and I don't want to give too much away but the way she returned was just ridiculous and I had to laugh because at the time it was very it was very timely for what was popular at that moment but I just had to roll my eyes. In 2019 Lila Sturgis and illustrator Pius Back made The Magician's Alice's Story, a graphic novel told from the perspective of Alice, who's really a secondary character from the book series, but she's also kind of like his love interest. So I don't really consider her a secondary character, but I digress. And then he also has written children's books. So maybe start them off there and then move to The Magician's. He published in September of 2020, The Silver Arrow, which was on the bestsellers list. And then the Magician's Trilogy was adapted for television on sci-fi 
and it ran for five seasons from December 2015 to April of 2020. Okay. Don't think COVID took it out. I think they just ran out of things to say. Yes. Yeah. I'm familiar with that in sci-fi shows. Yes. I'm looking at Eureka right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to watch The Magicians. I didn't really like it. They made Quentin a lot younger, which mm -hmm. I had issues with. And they also changed the name of one of the main characters, which I also really have issues when they do that. Because in my head, she was, like, it's not the same. I mean, it's the same character, like, the same characteristics mm -hmm. and all that. But it just is really confusing. And I'm, like, Unnecessarily yeah. confusing. It's unnecessarily confusing for people who read the book. But really, when, it, when are the shows and movies ever better than the books? <laughs> Never. In my opinion, Silver Linings Playbook, but that's the only one. In that okay. I ran I take that back. <laughs> What's that one? Oh, with Alice Hoffman with the witches. Oh, Practical Magic. Practical Magic. Favorite movie. Yep. Cannot stand the book. I tried reading it, but that was after the movie. <laughs> the audiobook was just really dry, but I think it was recorded like in the mid-90s. Yes. So it just, you know, they need to update it. Grossman, Alev, also has a movie or a film called The Map of Tiny Perfect Things based on his short story that was released on Amazon Prime on February 12th, 2021. He's also develop developing a TV series called The Heavens with the Russo Brothers at Amazon. So he's got, he's still writing, he's still busy. Some hasn't kicked them out. No, not yet. Or not yet. <laughs> I mean, he, I, I assume he brings in, you know, lots of money. More money than his scandalous behavior in the 90s. Right, I and mean, they must have forgiven him. <laughs> He currently, he lives with his second wife, Sophie, and his daughter, Lily, from a previous marriage. He also has a daughter named Allison Harriet and a third child, Benedict. And according to his website, he also has a Siamese cat, no name listed, unfortunately, and lives in a creaky old house. He's just a really cool person. He's done a lot of things, has his hands in a lot of things, and does everything really well. But yeah, so he was influenced um, by Tolkien. I feel like everyone in the realm of fantasy has been, or in very, like, progressive rock music to bring it, even though Led Zeppelin yeah. is not progressive rock, I don't think, but. I mean, they're kind of one of the originals, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I think, okay, like, I had Sticks, to look to Jody Rush, for that, because I, I was think like, those were in it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like Tolkien really kind of, is he the father of, like, modern fantasy? I would say he definitely would be. He created languages maps, genealogies, and he was good friends with C.S. Lewis, another podcast topic, who just would just like poof things into existence. And they yes. had a love-hate relationship. Yes, I, I almost brought up the C.S. Lewis connection <laughs> when I brought up Narnia. Um, yes. They were good friends. Well, most of the time. Except for when C.S. Lewis would solve a problem by poofing things yeah, in. Yeah, no Deo, Deus Ex Machina for J.R. Tolkien, right? <laughs> Gotta have a language to go with it and a map and a Thousand-year folklore, the genealogy, and yeah, no, no. He really is kind of like the source material mm -hmm. for all of that. So, especially the thousand-page hardcore fantasy. Oh my gosh, yeah, with the like, the dragon and the unicorn on the cover. Although, <laughs> I know my brother, who has ADHD, loves reading those giant world-building novels, but he reads one maybe a year, but. You know how I said I couldn't watch a movie over 90 minutes long? Mm -hmm. I can't read a book a thousand pages either. Like, <laughs> just do not have the attention span. Anything over 400 is audiobook. 
basically. Yes, I started watching The Will of Time, and my brother gets me the book because he's excited that I'm interested, and it's huge, and I'm like, it's like a doorstop, right? I'm not going to read this. Just like he <laughs> yeah. tried to get me to read Game of Thrones. 150 pages in, I'm like, is there happiness? And he's like, no. no. And I'm like, thank you for letting me. I will not be reading this. Right? Yeah, no. I saw the size of those books, and I was like, yeah, no. I'll try to watch the show, which I couldn't make it through either. Surprise, shocker. There are things I like, Jody. I promise. Uh, <laughs> I've heard things at yeah, times. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. I and it. Telling me all about Led Zeppelin and Lord of the Rings. And, and now my, my Google search history is lots of things about Led Zeppelin and Tolkien and not, is this normal cat behavior? That's usually what mine is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did Tolkien have a cat? You know, I don't know. I'm sure he did. It had probably an amazing name, if you did. Probably. Although, have you ever seen the game, it's an internet thing, where they have lists of token names in his Lord of the Rings books, and then lists of antidepressant medicines, and you have to determine which one is which? You cannot do it. You, you cannot do it. You're somebody that Link will put it in the show notes. <laughs> maybe, maybe the pharmaceutical industry was influenced by Lord of the Rings. That would be an amazing thing if you could find that. I mean, I'm sure there's a link in there somewhere, <laughs> right? You know, I read the books, but I don't remember any character named Prozac. No. <laughs> no. No Prozac. <laughs> no. These are, the, I guess, the lesser known. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. It was wonderful. I learned a lot. And next month, I'll be joined with Chris Lafave from the Kurt Vonnegut Memorial Library and Museum up in Indianapolis, where he will talk about all things Kurt Vonnegut. Backstories is a production of Indiana's Johnson County Public Library.